0: Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. Your passion for architecture will exceed your expectations when you have a thriving business to fuel that passion. A thriving business starts with planning for profit. So download our free course, Profit for Small Firm Architects, today at entrearchitect.com slash free course. You are listening to Entree Architect podcast and this is episode 196. Welcome back to the Entree Architect podcast. My name is Mark Arlepage and this is the podcast dedicated to a successful life as a small firm architect. Whether you have plans to someday start your own firm Whether you're in the process of launching a startup or you might be an experienced small firm architect just trying to make a difference, this podcast is for you. My goal is to inspire you to build a better business so that you may pursue your purpose with passion and live the life of your dreams. The world has changed in so many ways since I launched my firm back in 1999. That sounds like a million years ago. The internet and the World Wide Web, as it was known back then, they were in their infancy. Few architects were using any sort of digital tool to market their firms or communicate with their teams. Today, we can communicate instantly with anyone in the world. That, that to me, is amazing. That's a, a miracle. When, I, when I'm on the, uh, a digital call with somebody, looking at them in real time on a video call, it's amazing what we can do. We can collaborate in real time with a team distributed among dozens of places throughout the world. Our projects can be managed. Our finances can be tracked. Our entire firm can be launched, built and run without a physical dedicated office. The world has changed for sure. And with it, the practice of architecture is changing. How can we leverage the power of the internet and the digital cloud to improve our practices? How can the internet and this new model, the new models of business, the internet affords us improve the profession? How can these new models not only allow us to thrive as entrepreneurs, but be more flexible, more family friendly, more socially responsible, more equitable, and simply how can it help us live happier lives as practicing architects? Well, this week at Entree Architect Podcast, a new way to practice architecture with Diana Nicholas of SOM Architecture. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors, FreshBooks, BQE Software, Arcat, and Gusto. And I'm going to share a little bit more about each one of these companies later in the show, but before we get started here, just take a quick note, just take a quick, quick note, go grab a pencil and schedule some time this week. I really want you to do this. Go grab a pencil, schedule some time this week to go visit each one of them, FreshBooks, BQE Software, RCAT, and Gusto, and let them know that you appreciate them for supporting us, the Entree Architect community. Diana Nicholas, welcome to Entree Architect podcast.
1: Hey, Mark. It's great to be here
0: it's great to have you here you uh you we've talked a little bit about who you are and what your firm is all about and so i'm really excited to have this conversation but i want to introduce you to the to the audience here uh, with over 20 years experience diana has practiced architecture in both the united states and italy one of my favorite countries in the world although i haven't been to many but i loved it when i was there um and she's practiced with projects throughout the continental u.s and europe based in boston massachusetts diana uh, co-founded SAM It's spelled S-A-A-M architecture, SAM architecture in June of 2014. Uh, The SAM partnership was established with the goal of providing a high level of client services through unique and innovative project specific solutions over uh, sector-based opportunities. The firm has adopted a business model that leverages technology to provide progressive HR policies which is something we're gonna talk about um, and therefore attracting some really great talent. And within the three years that Sam has been around, they've grown to 24 people. So they've done this very quickly. Um, so I wanna dive deep into sam I wanna dive deep into the business model and how it works. Uh, this is something that I'm passionate about too. So I think our audience is really going to like this conversation. Um, but before we do that, I wanna start the way we always start with your origin story, Diana. Go back to where you discovered architecture, what inspired you to become an architect, and then give us that story to where we are today.
1: Sure. So I grew up in Amarillo, Texas, which is not really a place people think of when they think about inspiring architecture, but um, my mother was a humanities professor at the local community college, and as such, she taught me a lot about how to look around and how to sort of examine your surroundings. Um, I remember specifically, we used to drive all over Texas, you know, because that's you drive a lot in Texas and we would go through these small towns and my mom and I would have this game when we would see the local churches and the churches, um, you know, always had their own architectural style and we would always guess the sort of sect of Protestant or Catholic churches based on the architectural style. Yeah, cool. That's so a great game. As, yeah, it was really fun. Um, so, you know, as a kid, I was sort of already thinking about architectural history, I suppose. And, and design to a degree. Um, And then later on, when I ended up uh, going to Tufts University, I was able to work with an architectural historian there. And so it was during that time that I really expanded my sort of view of architectural design and and the world that we live in in that way. Um, And so I finished at Tufts with sort of this pre-architecture degree that was architectural history and urban studies. So that was sort of how I... Launched. And then after that, I ended up going to graduate school in architecture back in Texas at the University of Texas at Austin.
0: And then, so what did you do after you graduated?
1: So, um, when I was at the University of Texas, they had a really strong connection with Paycob Freed in New York. Mm-hmm. And um, I was able, through those connections, to get a job there. And um, so I spent about four years in New York City. So I worked at Paycob Freed and Gensler. And, you know, I learned a lot about the very traditional design cultures, um, the global practice, high profile projects. Yeah, very big sort of international thing. firms. Right. And it was great. Um, and then my career sort of took uh, an interesting turn and I was in Italy for two years. So I did work for a firm there. I was living in Venice and there was a firm on the mainland, um, that actually was doing building scanning and this was, you know, 20 years ago. So that was kind of interesting technology to be exposed to at that point. Um, and I worked some at the architectural biennale as well. So that was wonderful. And then came back to the United States to Cleveland, Ohio. And I worked for a couple of firms there. was some
0: culture shock.
1: That was some culture shock. <laughs> but you know, Cleveland is really, um, it's really underrated, I think. You yeah, know, no, I'm not saying really... Cleveland's
0: bad, but, but to come from Venice, <laughs> yeah, to Cleveland, yeah, no, it was... that's a pretty broad span.
1: Fair enough. It, yeah. it certainly was. But, you know, I had uh, really great opportunities as an architect there because I worked in, um, at Westlake Reed-Liskotsky and at Boswick Design. And both of those places gave me a really strong technical background. Um, but it was during the time when Co. Pimmelblau did the Akron Art Museum, and I was able to work on that. Ended up doing another project with a former Pecob Freed designer uh, for Cleveland Institute of Music. So some really um, important things. And then yeah. uh, after that? Uh, I came to Boston, and I've been here about nine years. So what,
0: what brought you back to Boston?
1: Um, my uh, personal situation brought me back to Boston. Okay, yeah. And um, I, I was very fortunate, though, even though I grew up in Texas, I had a sister that lives outside of Boston. So was really happy to be back here. And I have to say practicing in Boston is really fantastic. There are just so many amazing designers here. And then one of the things that I've really grown to appreciate is that it has very strong roots in the sort of equity um, mm-hmm. discussion
0: yeah, that's no, happening in our position. So, yeah.
1: yeah, so that's been a real plus, as well.
0: So, so when you when you went back to Boston, it, what did you go back with the intent of starting your own firm, or did you just go back there and say, okay, I'm just going to get another job and, and I'm going to settle there?
1: I certainly had no intention of starting my own firm. Um, so I was hired by Burt Hill and at the time they had a Boston office of about 45 people and they offered me things like flexible schedules and being able to work remotely. And I interviewed a lot of really great firms in Boston, in Boston, but people weren't quite there on things like giving VPN access to everyone. And so I. when, you know, I when just, was this? So this was, uh, 2008 and this was okay. before yep. the crash. So, uh,
0: and just and just as that technology started being adopted so yeah
1: yeah i mean i had had i had had access before in a a previous firm but at that time i had young children Mm -hmm. and you know i have a long commute so those are important tools yeah so it was it was interesting just to sort of talk to all of these firms that you know are doing you know work again around the world high profile projects but when i interviewed at bird hill they sort of offered something a little bit different Um, and in fact I ended up working on the Gardner Museum with Renzo Piano so again I was able to do that kind of a project but I had these uh, work-life benefits so that sort of became this important factor in my career and sort of the way that I looked at the profession Um, so anyway after I joined Mert Hill they were acquired by a large Canadian engineering firm Stantec and after about three years, uh, during which I had been promoted to being one of the two principals of the studio, um, it was time to sort of leave the world of the publicly traded company that's not really as focused on architecture mm-hmm. and start a new practice. And so that's what we did.
0: And so, so, so tell tell me that story. So, so you're there and you're in this big corporate firm, and it's just not jiving with who you are and what you want to do anymore, right? And so, right? And so, I mean, it's. It's
1: actually really challenging to sell your portfolio, to sell your firm in architecture when you're in that context, because, you know, the the sort of mega firms have this sort of frightening um, anonymous feel to a lot of Mm -hmm. clients. I remember talking to, um, the director of planning at MIT, and she said to me, you know, with the mega firms, we have no idea who we're going to get. And we have no idea who in your office has worked on, you know, a project halfway around the world. And there are a lot of talented firms in town. And I can call the people around the corner and know mm-hmm. who I'm gonna get. And that really sort of
0: Yeah, light bulb moment. You know,
1: it, that was a big light bulb moment. And then also, you know, as a woman and a leader in the architectural field, I could see that um I was not in a position where I was really going to be able to grow, particularly if I was not able to bring in work as a principal, but, um, also that path just wasn't there. Um, and so knowing that we had a strong, um, you know, client base and a really strong portfolio, we did sort of take this leap. So I, um, I left stand with my partner, who is who had been managing the bird Health studio for some time. And, um, yeah, three and a half years later, we now we're twenty six people, and it's been really fun.
0: So, so you left knowing, okay, we're going to go start our own thing.
1: We did, and we yep. also knew that Stantec was uh, in negotiations for acquisition of another large architectural firm, and that didn't sound so exciting for us either. So.
0: So you were it was a big firm getting bigger <laughs>
1: exactly and exactly it's, and it's
0: not the direction you wanted to go so you were at this this moment where you you either needed to get on the bus and go for that ride with the big giant company or, exactly. or get off at this you know and start your own thing
1: and the other thing that we could see happening um, in this sort of large firm environment was that you really were encouraged to fit into these sector um, sort of groups and you were, you know, you were going to be an aviation specialist or you were going to be a healthcare Mm -hmm. specialist. And, you know, the, the group of people that worked at Burt Hill were all generalists and had amazing portfolios. And I think because, you know, personally with a liberal arts background, I was sort of taught, and I think all architects are actually taught to work through any type of problem. And I think that, you know, you have sort of richer practice if you get to work across different sectors. So, you know we we did not see that we were going to have that ability to do that and starting our own firm that's been one of the sort of basic tenets of what we wanted to do was work across all sectors and we've yeah. been able
0: to and so so you through all of this experience so lots of firms lots of sizes of firms lots of different types of work um, and lots of sort of um, business models lots of different different things that that worked and lots mm-hmm. of things that didn't work for you so when you started when you decided to to launch your new firm, um, what was some of that planning like what, what were some of the, the things that you knew you wanted to do and how much of what Sam became sort of was an evolution? How much of it was intentional?
1: So there were a couple of basic ideas because we had worked on large projects um, and I mean we worked on all sides of projects, but we we built the firm knowing that we wanted to do bigger work, meaning we wanted to have the infrastructure and the talent to win projects that are not the sort of typical, let's say, architectural start, startup project mm-hmm. type. So that meant, first of all, that we needed, you know, uh, the basic infrastructure of, well, obviously VPN, but, you know, really strong servers and, you know, buying the the best laptops we could for everyone and providing them with all of those types of tools. And then secondly, we wanted to make sure that we could bring in the folks that had worked on those types of projects. And in Boston, there are so many firms with wonderful portfolios, with people that have done amazing design work. Um, and so by doing that, well, let me back up for a minute. We had to figure out a way to bring those people into a new firm that no one had heard of, right? Right, right, because you're competing also, against
0: all those other big firms with those massive yeah. portfolios, yep.
1: Right. And then on top of that, we wanted to sort of um, expand on these HR policies that had been in place back in the Burke Hill days. So in addition to flexible schedules and remote working ability, we decided we really wanted to try some things like unlimited vacation. And we've done that as well. And so that combination is a really attractive option for a lot of people. Now, in our case, most of those people have been young parents. Um, And again, they've all worked on great projects and are really fun to work with, but they also really appreciate having a little bit more life balance. Um, So that has been a very successful aspect of what we originally set out to do. Um, And we've also, as I said before, been able to work on all types of projects because with that mix of people, we also have this sort of shared portfolio of projects in every sector. When we have people that have done the top labs, the top hospitals, the top hospitality projects, museums, et cetera. So those things have actually worked out really well, given that some of it uh, wasn't necessarily planned. On top of that, we, so we are a, a WBE, a woman business enterprise. Um, but our firm actually is 75% women and I think part of that's because, as I mentioned, we've attracted a lot of young parents, mostly mothers, but also some young fathers, which is great. And they utilize those work-life benefits as, you know, everyone use, utilizes this. But also we acknowledge that, you know, it might not be that you have kids, but maybe you have an aging parent, or maybe, you know, you want to pursue your passion of, you know, taking pottery classes at night. And so, those types of things are also available to everyone. And these tools are intended to really level the playing field. Um, I know that you've talked to some of the rock stars in the equity and design uh, world. And in last year's world, in last year's survey, I should say, um, there was a specific sort of question in their survey about access to work life benefits. And it was fascinating to see to me, first of all, that men were given access to those things much more than women um and so our idea is that everyone has the same access has the same opportunity and if you want to work 32 hours a week and you want to take on a new project type or become a project manager there's no reason you cannot do it yeah so that's been really uh, gratifying to sort of see in action yeah well.
0: and we can link the survey rosa shang's been on the show a bunch of times yeah. Emily's been on the show a couple of times. Emily Steph Rice. Uh, Maya Sh- uh, Sharfi was just recently on. Another, you know, uh, uh, equity proponent. Hey, let's take a quick break to say thank you to our platform sponsors here at Entree Architect. With their support, we can do what we're doing. So make sure you go reach out to them and say thank you. FreshBooks, Core by BQE Software, RCAT, and Gusto. FreshBooks makes it simple to send invoices, post your expenses automatically, track your time for your whole team, by project, and get organized with reports, communication, and notifications. And my favorite feature in FreshBooks, I've said this over and over again, and I love it, it is the automated invoice reminders. And I think sending invoices and getting paid might be one of the biggest barriers to our success as entrepreneur architects, right? Because who has the time? Who has the time to send invoices out? Well, FreshBooks makes it so easy to send out invoices and get paid online with a click of a button. And when your client doesn't pay you on time, and how often is that, like forever? FreshBooks will send them you know, a friendly email reminder automatically through a simple system that you control. Sign up free for 30 days, unrestricted, and get ready for the simplest way to be more productive more organized, and most importantly, my favorite, get paid faster, visit entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks to get access to FreshBooks for free. And be sure to enter Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section. One of the most often requested resources here at the Entree Architect community is project management software. How do we keep our projects and our people organized while we grow as entrepreneur architects? Well, today's podcast is sponsored by BQE Software. They're the makers of the award-winning BQE Core. I want you to try out Core. Core puts project management, business intelligence, billing, time, and expense tracking, and accounting all together on one intuitive, powerful platform. With its cloud platform and mobile apps, Core lets you manage people, projects, and profits from anywhere and you can get a fully functional 15 day trial of core. Go check it out, 15 free days. Go try it at entrearchitect.com slash bqe. RCAT is a great tool for small farm architects. RCAT has huge libraries online of free content. CAD, BIM, specifications, and much more. And they have done all the work for you. You need a spec? Click on over there, download the CSI three-part specification in multiple file formats, however you want it. They've got it, and it's free. How about CAD details or BIM objects? All free at the click of a mouse. RCAT has tons of building product content ready for you to use. It's all completely free, and you don't even have to register to download the content. It's there waiting for you. It makes your life so easy. And have you checked out their free collaboration tool? Charette Charette is a tool for sharing and collaborating with your colleagues and clients in real time. And yes, it's free too. You can upload photos and files, share specs, product information directly from the ARCAT database, as well as from anywhere else on the internet. Visit ARCAT and click the Charette icon right there on the homepage. And like everything offered by ARCAT Charette, yes, Charette is free too. What is stopping you from going over to ARCAT and checking out what they have? They, everything you need. It's sitting right there waiting for you. RCAT has it. Visit entrearchitect.com slash RCAT. A-R-C-A-T. Payroll and benefits. Ah, That makes my spine hurt. Payroll and benefits are hard, especially when you're a small business like a small firm, Entrepreneur Architects. You don't have time to be an expert in things like taxes and regulations and old school payroll providers, they just don't get it. They aren't built the way that we work today. Gusto is making payroll benefits and HR easy for small businesses. Modern technology does all the heavy lifting so it's easy for you to get it right. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and a great service for your team. To help support the Entre Architect podcast, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited time deal. And don't don't listen up. This is this is a great deal. Sign up today and you will get three months free once you run your first payroll. So go to entrearchitect.com slash gusto, G-U-S-T-O, entrearchitect.com slash gusto, and claim your free three months of Gusto. FreshBooks, BQE Software, RCAT, and gusto! Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. So you have seventy-five percent women. You have your firm's about twenty-four people. Is that right?
1: Twenty-six. Yeah. 20,
0: Twenty-six people. Mm-hmm. Um, was that when you when you grew into that? Was it Was it the the model and the benefits and the things that your firm, the firm that you built, attracted those people, or was it intentional that you wanted to create this woman-friendly, quote-unquote, firm?
1: You know, we didn't specifically set out saying we wanted this to be a firm that was mostly women. I mean, in the world of WBE firms, it is great that we can sort of, um, I think, speak in a stronger way to the spirit of giving women, um, more opportunities. But it was really about just, you know, having talented people that we like to work with and making sure that everyone has the same level of access. And that's, and you know, it feels that way. Um, I think part of the the reason honestly that we have more women is that, you know, we hired some women early on who would bring their, their friends from other firms. We really try to hire based on
0: recommendations from others in the firm. Yeah. yeah, and and I think when you build a firm that that has that flexibility and that freedom, the things that, that are keeping women out of the profession or limiting them in the profession and that survey clearly shows what those things are. When you build a firm that sort of eliminates those things, it's just you just create a firm that works. And the women yeah. who are possibly leaving or being, being uh, uh held back in in other firms gravitate to those firms that have those flexibilities and, and the, the tools that allow them to live the lives that they want to live. And so I, I think it's a great uh, opportunity for other firms to see your firm the success that your firm is having um, and it's not intentionally a firm built quote unquote for women that it's not a I mean it's a woman uh, right, firm absolutely it's a, it's, a, it's but it's a it's a fully functioning strong architecture firm. That allows the women who are out there, who have these uh, other uh, possible other responsibilities, to live the life that they want to live, and it allows. And I think the future of architectural offices is that I don't care what size I they hope are; so. <laughs> they are all going to go there because the n- this next generation is ex- is expecting that. First of all, um, I think our generation is seeing the benefits of that um, and and growing in you know creating firms like that. And the tools are there. The tools are finally there that, that it makes so much sense. New new architecture firms that start from scratch uh, can, can, can start from home, and never even have an office, build virtual firms that if you chose to, could never have, you know, would never have an office. Um, it's a very exciting time in our profession from the tools and the momentum that we're seeing with firms like yours.
1: I agree. I think there are some challenges, though, as the industry moves in this direction. I think that historic architectural culture does not really have um, a good uh, foundation in trusting mm-hmm. uh, you know, employees. And so this, this model requires a lot of trust and a lot of communication. And I think that the leadership um, of firms has to sort of open their minds a little bit about how that's going to work. Um, I mean, the technology is absolutely there, Um, but it's this sort of culture shift that is going to take a generation, I think. Um, And even within that, I do not, I don't see a lot of firms readily trying to give people the same level of opportunity. So, you know, for instance, we have um, an architect who came to us after being on maternity leave, had not ever been a project manager, but was really interested in doing that. So... She started with the firm, became a project manager immediately. She had a schedule that was based on 24 hours a week. But by being available to her client, she was able to do all of that and do it really well. And I think that type of of scenario is really tough for a lot of um, firm leaders to swallow at this point. But it's completely possible.
0: Yeah, I I think it's inevitable. That's how I look at it. But I agree with you. That it will take time. Yeah. That yeah. I think the the leaderships need to shift, and I think it it is all based on trust. Um, but I think that the profession traditionally, overall, has been very secretive and very non trusting, and I think mm-hmm. that's shifting as well. That's a huge message that I I bring to the profession, that to share our knowledge, that everything we have, everything we know, we should be sharing with one another because the entire profession grows that way. Um, that's so
1: true. I think architects are not good at talking to one another. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that I've really um, enjoyed about sort of getting involved in the discussions around equity. And, you know, Boston has a really strong women principles group. And, you know, people are willing to share and talk in those groups. And I found that to be refreshing and, you know, incredibly um, supportive.
0: Yeah, yeah. So. That's it's great it's they, it is great to to see that Let's, can we get into some specifics about what you're doing? Absolutely. The, can you? First of all before we give because I'd like to talk a little bit about the technology that you're using to make this all happen um, But before we do that, could you talk about the structure of your firm? Like you have 26 people? Sure. How, how does the structure of the firm work?
1: so <clears throat> so I'm the CEO and my partner is the COO and so he and I um, You know tend to sort of work on projects and fulfill those roles as well we both like working with clients a lot so then we have three other principles one of them is um happens to live in new hampshire so that she has and i don't mean just over the border yeah uh, remote, so, like seriously so, remote. <laughs> exactly so she's a great example of you know that we can actually keep people in the profession who might not otherwise want to stay in the profession because she doesn't always you know, work full time, which is fine. But she's got this incredible technical knowledge, um, and she's really critical to sort of the, the QA QC world. And she's a, a huge resource for our team. Um, and then we also have two other principals. Um, but but we try to keep it all fairly, you know, horizontal to the to the extent possible. I mean, like everyone, we have open office and all of that stuff. So then we have um, five senior associates, and then we have several associates, I can't even tell you exactly how many, but, um, so in that way, I guess it's more traditional. Our, Mm -hmm. our view with this sort of the the way that titles work is that, um, it's really about what your sort of level of engagement with clients is. So, you know, we might have associates who haven't finished their exam, but they're managing a $4 million project with a client on their own. Um, so it's a little bit different in that regard, but we also, you're talking about the sort of secrecy or lack of, of transparency in firms. Part of what works with our flexibility model is that we try to get everyone to come to the office on Mondays. We have a meeting where we go through every project and then we talk about all of the marketing and that, and the things that we're pursuing and looking to pursue. And a lot of people really appreciate that because they feel like they know what's going on in the firm, you know, and people can certainly call in, Um, but it's a way for all of us to connect and then we do sort of, you know, lunch and learns and that kind of thing on Mondays as well. But that's really, um, solidified the culture and I think people feel more invested and it feels less hierarchical.
0: Yeah, I I think that that weekly required base touch, um, is critical to that, to that structure where you have this flexibility and this freedom to do what you want and when you want, as long as you get the work done and the remote um, staff that you have to have a physical all hands on this time, on this day, every week, um, Mm -hmm. is, is not only gives everybody in the firm the opportunity to understand what's happening and to be transparent, but it allows you to sort of be more disciplined to keep, stay focused that on what the, everybody else is doing, because one of the dangers of having a remote firm, I have a remote firm too, much smaller than yours, um, is that it's very easy to just let it all go. Because you don't see it, you don't walk around yep. and see the work happening. You actually have to be very disciplined on having regular meetings and regular, you know, um, face-to-face conversations. So, if you have staff say in, in New Hampshire and you're having this weekly meeting, is that person attending that meeting as well?
1: She is. So we use GoToMeeting yep. for that. So we share screens. We, you know, have the audio obviously, but we're also able to look at, you know, projects on the screen together or. You know spreadsheets of staffing or any you know those sorts of tools so yes absolutely she calls in and we also have um a team of people that are supporting a really large project on site so there are four people that or five people that call in from there some sometimes they sort of rotate coming into the office as well but yeah so we're definitely set up to do that and and then we can talk more about the collaboration that occurs in similar ways throughout the week but
0: do you have specific office hours
1: We don't, we don't have specific office holidays um, because with unlimited vacation, all of that sort of flows, you know, and the other thing about our flexible schedules is that our view of flexibility is that it really has to work both ways. So, you know, if you want to go to your kids' soccer practices twice a week, that's fine. But if your client wants to schedule a meeting then, and that's when they need you to be there, you have some backup you have some way to make sure that you can still meet the needs of your client. And we all, we don't have, um, you know, traditional phone lines in the office. Everyone's personal cell phone is their office phone and everyone's cell phone is on their business card. So clients can find you 24 seven. If you are at soccer practice or whatever. Yeah. So that's an important piece of our technology.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. So you're using your own, um, phone numbers. You're, you are, um, Allowing the flexibility to go do what you want to do, but but the client's uh, n- needs and, and and necessities do they take precedence over the personal activities that people have? Is that a, is that a, an established cultural decision that clients come first, or do they not come first?
1: So that's that's the basic assumption. Yes. Okay. Um, and most people sort of rise to the occasion because they realize like this mm-hmm. is an opportunity, right? So that hasn't really been an issue, but you know, from time to time somebody has a sick child or, you know, a different commitment um, and they can't actually make those meetings. So one of the sort of wonderful aspects about our culture is that people really try to help one another because you know, they all realize there's going to be a day when they can't sort of meet their side of the flexible schedule. and that's also, someone in the firm pointed out that as a result, because we're all supporting each other so well, both within projects and across the firm, there's, there's very little, um, actually they said that there's not any sense of competition. And I think that's another aspect of architectural culture that's been very problematic historically. Yep. Yep. So that was kind of a refreshing revelation.
0: Is there a clear path to advancement?
1: Uh, that's an excellent question. There's not a clear path to advancement. Um, I think that we, what we try to do is give people, as I said, the sort of level playing field, make sure that they're given opportunities to grow. And if they want to make the most of those opportunities, they are going to advance themselves. Yeah. So, you know, and being only three and a half years old, you know, we haven't had round after round of promotions. Sure, yeah. So, you know, that's, but we also, uh, this is a little different and I think in some circles, maybe a, a little bit controversial, but we don't do performance reviews. I think coming from a firm, you know, a, the large firm world where everyone had to fill out the same form and it felt like it was very much a legal sort of requirement so that everyone was documenting things that weren't working. Um, we've decided instead to sort of, uh, take everyone to lunch a couple of times a year, so the principals kind of divide up who they want to go with and we can shift that around. That's very flexible as well. And just have a conversation. Like, yeah, I love that. And it's meant to be sort of a listening activity for the principals, you know, that we hear what people want to work on, what they like to work on, what they want to do. But also we ask them, you know, like, what can we do better? How are we doing on this? What technologies do you think we can use? You know, what what initiatives do you, do you want to start? So um, that's become a really sort of um, important way for us to Understand what people's goals are so that we can better help them in advancing Their careers.
0: Yeah Um, Are are there are you are you feeling any? um, Challenges by doing because obviously this is a new model Um, You you're in the forefront of this I mean there aren't a lot of firms doing this at the level that you're doing it so I'm sure there's lots of Uh, inventing new ways and new systems in order to make this happen. Um, So are you, what are some of the roadblocks that you're seeing while you're doing this? What are some of the challenges?
1: So one of the challenges that we realized was that younger people that are just coming out of school are a little bit different than the people that we initially were bringing in. But you know, as we've grown, we definitely needed people that were younger. And um, so it was harder to recruit those people because they hadn't really worked in other firms, so they didn't necessarily recognize the opportunity of these types of um, HR policies. That's
0: interesting. So the people who have been in the in the profession for a little while can compare what you're offering to what the rest of the world is offering and see, oh, this is a great job, whereas other people coming fresh out of the studio, you know, out of school, they don't really know what's exactly. available. They just see this and they think, oh, this is commonplace, this is the way it works.
1: And interestingly enough, of the sort of younger staff that have just graduated, two of them are graduates of Northeastern. And for the last two years, I've gone and spoken at the professional practice class about a small firm, but also this sort of alternative business model. And then they've had other architects from mid and large size firms. And so the two people that we hired had been in that class and I think really understood that context quite well. And they're amazing architects, it's really been fun. But the other thing I'll say about um, the younger staff, and we observed this very early on, is that uh, they're kind of expecting to go sit next to someone else who's drafting and get that constant feedback. And if they are not individuals who are comfortable reaching out over Skype to ask a question or who Mm -hmm. just generally don't want to ask questions, they're not going to have the same learning curve they might have elsewhere. So once we became aware of that, we sort of have those discussions with people, we check in with them more. And when you know, I, I, sh- I shouldn't make it sound as if we don't sit next to one, one another and work. Most of us work in the office four days a week on average of the full-time people. And people mix up what days they took off, which is fine. But there's still a lot of that sort of um, hands-on, face-to-face collaboration as well.
0: Yeah, are you uh, are you time tracking? Does everybody do you know what how many hours people are putting in?
1: Absolutely, we are. Um, but the 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 primary reason for doing that is for billing our clients yeah, because yeah. we have both fixed fee and hourly. And incidentally, we use ArchiOffice, whose BQE is one of your sponsors, I believe. Yeah. Um, and you no, know, it's important to do that. We vary, I think only once since we started the business, have we even looked to see who's taken vacation. I mean, we have a sense of who's taking more and who's not. And, you know, people always point out that a problem of unlimited vacation is that some people don't use it and they need to use it. So we do also try to actively say to folks, you know, you haven't taken a whole week off yet. Um, On the other hand, we've had people who've been with us for a week and then have had some life event that allowed them to take off two weeks, you know, within their first month. And that's fine. Yeah.
0: You may have to establish a a mandatory minimum, you know, whereas most firms it's a mandatory, you know, it's a maximum. And your firm might say, well, everybody is required to take at least one week off because that helps people sort of recharge and, and you know, grow. And, you know, that time away is important that if you just work constantly, you know, 365, you're missing an opportunity there.
1: Exactly. I mean, we do uh, try to close the office between Christmas and New Year's to sort of encourage that kind of thing. But to your point, yes, we may need to establish some kind of minimum to encourage people.
0: Yeah. So, so you're using Archi Office, You're using um, GoToMeeting for telecommuting. Um, mm-hmm. What are some of the other tools that you're using to make this happen?
1: Well, it's interesting because GoToMeeting has really kind of expanded their offering since we started. So, you know, you can sketch and that kind of thing. Um, we use
0: Uh, And those those may be the only two that those are our
1: most important tools. I mean, there are some other things, for instance, you know, we have one Rhino license because we don't need a lot of Rhino licenses. And so the way that that technology works for accessing the license can be challenging if you're not in the same space. And so we have um, a dedicated um, computer that people can connect to even on VPN and then have access to the Rhino license. So we've done some things like that. Same way, I think we've done that with some of the, the professional versions of SketchUp and those sorts of things. Um, I mean, we're a really big Revit yeah, that was my firm next user. Question. Yeah. Um, and that allows gonna,
0: you to collaborate as well.
1: Exactly. And so we have projects that have been using the cloud, but I mean, our server servers been fine for you know keeping the central files and and we've always used Skype even at Burt Hill to sort of talk about what people are doing in the model. So a lot of that continues to happen.
0: If, if you could start the firm over and you, you were in the position, because people are listening and they're saying, I'm where Diana was, I want to go launch my firm and I want to build this firm like this. What's some advice that you could give to that person who's considering launching their, their firm, they want to build a firm similar to yours, what should they be watching out for?
1: So I have a couple of points. Um, The first is that I wouldn't get too caught up in your business plan because this is architecture. You don't know what opportunities are going to come with you. The second thing is to make sure that you are in a position where you have client access because those folks are going to follow you if they like to work with you. So I'm thinking about people that are looking at transitioning to their own firm. We were really fortunate that sort of all the clients that we wanted uh followed us by their own choice so um so those are sort of my two biggest things and then you know think really carefully about what you what opportunities you have in your firm and be very vocal in your you know if you're working for someone else ask them about their business ask them to look at you know look at financials i mean people can show you financials without revealing everything and some firms don't want to reveal everything others are willing to do that if you ask and I think that's that's the kind of training we don't get in school. So you should get as much of that as possible. So uh,
0: is some um, pretty transparent financially to, to your staff?
1: We could be more transparent. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, starting a firm is financially risky and financially scary. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so sometimes you don't want to give people an understanding that, oh, you know, our accounts receivable is actually quite high. And we've had actually, since we started the firm, 100% collection rate. So... That's great. Um, but I worked in when one of the firms I worked in in Cleveland. They would do this sort of annual financial presentation. And I really appreciated that, even though it was pretty abstract. Yeah. And I think that we need to look towards doing more of that because we sort of, you know, as individuals have expressed interest in it. We we always take that opportunity to sit down with them and show them, and, you know, and some of that's just opening up our key office a little bit more. Yeah, and then they can sort of see all of the the billings and that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, I don't think it's but, a good idea to be completely transparent because there are some things that that are you know that you're working on that are that are that are developing, and you don't want to create a sense of crisis where there is none. You know, there there exactly. it might be scary, but because you're in leadership position, you have a plan for it, and you know where you're going and how that's going to be resolved. And some people would see that and be like, "I'm out of here. This is this firm's yeah, not going to make crazy. it." Yeah,
1: this is crazy. I know. And in reality, you know, I'm sure a lot of the firms I worked in had those those same moments where I would have thought we are all going to make it.
0: That's (laughs) part of part of (laughs) part of being an entrepreneur is taking that risk. And that's that risk is very scary at times. Um, And sometimes it's it's, you know, crazy scary. But that's that's part of owning a business. There's very few businesses that start that don't have those times where you're like, why did I do this? This is crazy. Um, but, you know, with plan and determination and, and consistency, it grows and it succeeds. Yeah. And so it's, it's exciting to hear your story. It's exciting to, to see a firm thriving uh, with these policies in place. Um, I, it's really exciting. I, I'd love to have other people take a look at it. Your website is uh, sam arch so saam-arch.com. Um, before we wrap up, I want to ask you the same question that I ask all of my uh, guests here at Entre Architect podcast. What is one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow?
1: Try to hire the best people that you can possibly find, even in some cases, if you don't have all the right project
0: work for them. That's a, that's a great answer. Where where can uh, I gave the the website sam dash arch dot com? Are you on social media? What you want to share we some are, social so media? We are so
1: we're on um, we're on Twitter and Facebook. Facebook? Yes, and like okay. LinkedIn. Yeah. So absolutely. it's just
0: Sam Sam Architecture. Yes.
1: Exactly. Okay, we'll have
0: that all linked up. We'll we'll find them and and put links in the show notes. So and if
1: people if people go to the website, our entire HR handbook is there. So it's all, you can see all of the things you talked about. Yeah.
0: So definitely go there, som-arch.com. Go check that out. I think I'm going to go do that because I'm very curious to see how that looks. Um, Definitely go see that. So Diana, thank you very much for spending some time with me here, sharing your knowledge here at the Entree Architect Podcast.
1: Thanks, Mark. It was really a pleasure to talk to you.
0: Hey, if you liked what we shared here today and find any value in anything we're doing throughout the Entree Architect platform, I ask you to share this episode. Share this episode of the Entree Architect podcast with a friend. Pick uh, one friend. Just pick one friend that you think might benefit from what Diana and I talked about today and share EntreeArchitect.com slash episode 196. 196, EntreeArchitect.com slash episode one hundred 96 and that's all i ask just do that just do that one thing because i think when you share this episode and you just share it with one friend then that one share that one friend shares it with one friend and that friend shares it with one friend and suddenly the whole world knows what we're doing here at entre architect podcast so i thank you for sharing this episode entrearchitect.com slash episode 196 you're getting a pattern here entrearchitect.com slash episode 196 share it with a friend email twitter facebook linkedin wherever you want to share it just do it that's all i ask and don't forget to go visit entrearchitect.com slash free course and download the free course profit for small firm architects it might just change the way you do business which then might just change your life entrearchitect.com slash free course my name is Mark Arlapage, and I am an entrepreneur architect, and I encourage you to go build a better business so you can be a better architect. Love, learn, and share what you know. Thanks for listening. Have a great week.